This year, I hosted a Lunar New Year party for the first time. The morning of the party, two of my friends and I went to Pan Asia Market, a huge bustling supermarket in West St. Louis County. We bought two full carts of groceries and booze. We ate lunch at the market, eating from the same dishes family style, and we returned to my house where we cooked for six hours straight, making Hainan chicken rice, a whole fish, Korean rice cake soup, and more. We made 16 dishes for 32 people, and it was worth it. Because if there's any time to do it big, it's Lunar New Year's. We didn't have fireworks or red envelopes, and our blood relatives were scattered across different states and across the globe. But we had friends who were like family, and we had so much food that everyone was able to leave with leftovers. Soon after the party, I began to have phone calls with my mother about Wuhan Feiyan, the so-called Wuhan pneumonia. This was before the World Health Organization recommended that it be called COVID-19. She was worried because our extended family was in Taiwan, a small island near China. There is enough travel between the two for the virus to be an imminent threat. And she was especially worried about her youngest sister, who was recovering from lung surgery. She had bought one box of masks in our hometown of San Jose, California, and she wanted to know if I had masks in St. Louis. She was worried it was going to be like the 2003 SARS outbreak all over again. Later, my sister came to visit me in St. Louis when cases of COVID-19 began to emerge in the U.S., first from people returning from international travel, then from community transmission. We started to read reports of anti-Asian xenophobia across the country, sometimes expressed through verbal threats and sometimes bursting out with physical violence. The virus hadn't emerged in St. Louis yet, but I caught a winter cold. I didn't want to spread the cold to others, so I found the fabric mask I bought the last time I visited Taiwan. It had come in handy the previous winter when I had bronchitis. But with reports of COVID-19 and anti-Asian xenophobia, I wasn't so sure. Would people look at me weird? Would they shout something unkind to me or worse? The worry that people would look at me weird wasn't new, but the fear of being blamed for a pandemic was. Weeks passed, and I went with my partner to vote in Missouri's presidential primary election. When we left the polling place, he said, I don't know if I should say this to you, and I'm not sure, but I think someone was glaring at you because you're Asian. In these uncertain times, anxiety is common, but COVID-19 has heightened my anxiety in new ways. Days before social distancing was recommended for St. Louis City and County, I panicked in a grocery store after a fellow customer coughed near me. I've noticed that even though my biggest fears are about catching the virus or being an asymptomatic carrier to someone else, there's also a nagging fear that if I catch COVID-19 in a city where Asians are 3.5% of the population, that I could be blamed for the pandemic, even though community transmission now accounts for most of the cases. We wanted to discuss how anti-Asian xenophobia is affecting Asian Americans and what can be done about it. So we turned to Dr. Salu Chang-Stewart, a Taiwanese-American therapist with over 17 years in the mental health field. In addition to her own private practice, she's on staff at Washington University in St. Louis's Counseling Center and has been working with her colleagues on how to support students during the COVID-19 outbreak. 
it's not always very aggressively delivered. Sometimes it's through microaggressions, but in either case, it's um it has an impact on the people who experience it. So, from a mental health、uh, provider professional's perspective, I I understand over time. This can really take a toll on the mental and physical health of the people,、um, and it it doesn't have to be the Asian Americans who received these kinds of treatment. It could be just through hearing about it, understanding that there could be the misconception, there could be the prejudice. Um, that over time can create a toxic environment where one feels that they have a, they're lacking in safety, and so that lack of safety is the germ、uh, state is the germ bed for anxiety and fear. I'm Jolyon Yang, and from St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, this is We Live Here. Like many Asian Americans who are tuned into global news, Salu learned about COVID nineteen early on. As soon as I, I saw cases being found and confirmed,、um, actions being taken in other countries, starting in Asia, that was, you know, when I realized, I think it's just a matter of time. On the one hand, I'm in this this world that, on the surface, it felt like. Nothing was happening. We were all safe. We're contained from threats. But at the same time, because I had been exposed to more updated information, I was learning about how powerfully this、um, virus can spread. And so I also realized that a lot of the information we were getting in our community was perhaps a few steps behind. She informed her friends and colleagues about the dangerous virus, and she made adjustments to her own practice well before St. Louis County, where her practice is located, issued their shelter-in-place order. I just decided、um, I was going to wear a mask because it was a protection,、uh, mutual protection. I just felt like, in my own conscience, because of what I did know, I could not postpone it. Further and just wait for higher authority to make a decision for me. So I, I contacted my private private practice clients and just asked for their understanding and started doing teletherapy. The decision to take early precautions wasn't easy. There was a lot she had to consider, including how clients would feel about these sudden changes. I think the stress was higher in the process of it. I. Sort of distilled all the noises, and come to the foundation, to the core of, first of all, as a human, what what is my responsibility as a professional, and I'm a, a mental health care provider. What is my responsibility? Then it became easier. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what my clients would feel about it. 
um, whether there was there was going to be a sense of abandonment um, or for people who may not share the same level of information that I was getting at the time, um, was it going to be a shock? As we continue to interview Asian Americans in St. Louis about their experiences with COVID-19, we heard this over and over again that they learned about COVID-19 well before the rest of the region took it seriously and began to take early precautions to prevent the spread, often at great social and economic cost to themselves, which is painfully ironic given that Asians and Asian Americans are now being indiscriminately attacked on a national scale for a virus that knows no race, no nationality, and no borders. The thing about xenophobia, especially in times like this, is ironically, the people who communicated these thoughts, who express their discrimination or literally tell people, you go home, right? The irony is, where did that come from? You know, aside from ethnocentrism, that is a human condition. Aside from that, It's also because I believe many of these people are feeling the fear and anxiety. They're also feeling that they are unsafe. And so when human beings get to this place where they feel unsafe, you know, danger met with uncertainty, the first two things that can go out of window are clear thinking, and compassion and so you know so I come at it from sort of a humanistic perspective I guess I I try it's like um, how do I understand where people are coming from and if I understand that I can take that perspective the extent of hurt that I receive can be mitigated as well you know I don't take it too personally myself because I have a way of understanding it you know that there's a huge difference between containing a disease and containing ourselves from those people who don't belong there's a huge difference between um, being sensitive to the potential origin of a, a virus and blaming an entire people as a defensive posture. Um, So those are totally different. And in this global village, um, if my neighbor's house caught on fire, um, will it make me feel better to point fingers saying, see, you're causing the whole village, village to be in danger? I really don't think so. I don't think it's helpful. I I don't think it's wise. Um, But, and at the same time, my neighbors, my friends are also suffering, right? So if we can activate the, the reasonable thinking and we can activate, mobilize that compassion that we all have, then we can share the lessons we've learned. We can share resources. We can help each other put out fire. We can find ways to contain the fire before it, it consumed the entire village. And knowing that we're all in this thing together, actually that strengthens us and that helps us feel safer. And from that safe place, 
we feel stronger. We can get through this thing. So as she consults with Washington University in St. Louis on mental health and COVID-19 response, she's been trying to drive home the message that we are stronger together. You can still be an ally when you hear these kinds of things happening to either your friends or your classmates. You can say something. You can say something directly to the people who are on the receiving it. But you can also stand up, you know, in times when it's safe. Safety is important. So the, the judgment is important. In time when it's safe, you can stand up and say something. As a bystander, you can be an ally. And that can be very helpful. That can be very powerful. And she says that allies can create safer spaces to process feelings after a xenophobic attack. It's very important to really honor the fact that they are experiencing suffering and to really give them the space and the time to first describe what exactly happened and to be able to use their own word, to share their own story, that when this happened, what was going on in my mind? What was going on in my body? How did I feel? And how did I respond to it? Did I respond to it? Sometimes there's that residual anger toward themselves. Like, I'm so mad at myself. You know, why didn't I think of saying something? Why didn't I stand up for myself? We asked Salu, what's carrying her through this time? Trust and belief in authenticity. Coming up, we hear from a Chinese-American organizer and two Asian-American small business owners about how COVID-19 has affected the social and economic fabric of St. Louis's Asian-American community. Because for them, they've had to endure the double gut punch of fearing anti-Asian xenophobia and dealing with the fallout from lost business. By now, there are reports about Chinatowns across the country that are hurting for business because of anti-Asian xenophobia. A couple of weeks ago, we received a tweet from Caroline Fan, a Chinese-American organizer who recently founded an organization to increase civic participation for Asian Pacific Americans in Missouri. The tweet read, No one has talked about the impact on Asian-American restaurants, which have been suffering since January. A number of my friends who run restaurants here, they've seen their revenues down 50 to 80 percent, not just currently for that, back in January. Back in January, these businesses have been hurting. That's their whole life. The restaurants, what they pass down to their kids, the restaurant is how they feed their family. The restaurant is how they keep folks employed, not just Asian American employees, right? And for the most part, when I walk outside to go walk my dog or to go to a park, you know, very safely, very socially distantly, I am kind of afraid to wear a mask, even though I probably should wear something. Maybe I'll tie a scarf or a bandana around my face. But the reason why I'm afraid to wear a mask 
is because I know people here who are monolingual, who are immigrants, who say when they wear masks, people start screaming at them and shouting at them like they have the disease. Whereas in Asia, it's very common to wear masks. It's considered a responsible, healthy thing to do so that you don't spread germs and that you don't get other people's germs. And also there's a fair amount of pollution in some of the major cities, right? And so there's just a gigantic gap and lack of cultural understanding. And she tells us that back in January, when I had my big Lunar New Year's party, the wider St. Louis Asian American community was already reeling from the social and economic cost of taking early precautions against the spread of COVID-19. I just want folks to know how meaningful Lunar New Year is in many East Asian cultures, right? It's a time of celebration. It's a time to be with family, with friends. You go out, you take other people out to eat. You have giant celebrations. It's, you know, good for our spirit. It's when our restaurants should be making the most money. And we canceled it out of an abundance of precaution because we all love our grandparents, right? And many of us live in multi-generational households. Toward the end of our conversation, we asked Caroline who else we should talk with, and she introduced us to Max Tsai, a Taiwanese-American whose family has owned businesses in St. Louis for over 35 years. We've been very involved in the Asian-American community here for the last 30 years. Um, My mother personally started the uh, St. Louis Chinese-American News years back, and we try to be involved in in whatever we can to help the Asian-American community here. Mandarin House, the restaurant Max's family owns, is popular and known for its delectable dim sum and as a place for celebration. A lot of weddings, a lot of birthdays, a lot of, um, uh, I would say, political social functions. Uh, but I would say more, than, more so than anything else, weddings. But as soon as news of COVID-19 reached the St. Louis Asian American community, Mandarin House received a lot of cancellations. I think they, they themselves voluntarily said, hey, we want to cancel these events because the reasons were the potential of COVID-19 in the area. Even though COVID-19 dealt a blow to small businesses across the region, the loss of business as early as January was experienced primarily by Asian and Asian American owned businesses. But this hasn't stopped Max from embracing the spirit of camaraderie during tough times. The restaurant industry in general is a, um, a bunch of brothers and sisters working together to survive you know, in, in, every, in every aspect. I want people to know that they're not alone. Everyone's here to help each other out and that we, uh, we will all get through this. It's unfortunate that you know, anti-Asian sentiments are out there. I think now is a great opportunity for Asian Americans also to show our support for the community at large. Lead by example, not through fear. We're here to be part of the community and, and to help the community as much as possible. And hopefully just like anyone else, uh, we don't see ourselves as separate uh, from anyone else in the St. Louis community, but an integral part of our community, the St. Louis community. Uh, as a father, I would like to share with my children that uh, during these periods of time, We can't just think for ourselves, but we have to think for our friends and our neighbors as well. Do the best that we can to move forward and do what we can to help 
around those around us. I would say what's given me strength is the strength of our friends and family out there that are in the same situation. Uh, those with less resources, but with, with the courage to, to move forward and also to be, um, to be generous to those around them. So that's given me more, uh, more strength than anything else. We also spoke to Shane Propizel, a Thai American whose family has been in St. Louis for almost 30 years. They own two international supermarkets and four restaurants. It's um, really enjoyable, especially with the work that we're able to do in terms of um, feeding people and especially uh, providing, um, you know, first generation Americans and immigrants kind of the food from their homelands and things that they miss. Um, so it's for us not just, you know, something for us to survive on, but a really fulfilling mission to really kind of help people get through the worst times with something as familiar as food. His family also took action before official shelter-in-place orders were given, pivoting from traditional dining rooms to takeout and delivery only. We have to try almost twice as hard to, to show folks that we are being proactive, that, you know, we are, following all the strict guidelines that the CDC is recommending, you know, almost that we're, we're twice as clean. Um, a lot of our employees have been with us for 10, 15 years. So we're also trying to uh, strike a balance between obviously, you know, some of our businesses are more effective than others, but really trying to keep people in our payroll um, and find them as much work as we can in light of kind of a lot of things shutting down. And as they work to keep their employees on payroll, they're also ensuring that wholesale distribution of Asian ingredients to area restaurants stays intact, even as Shane worries that some restaurants might never recover and a recession looms large. But what continues to inspire him is the all-hands-on-deck mentality shared by the wider St. Louis Asian-American community. Whether it be, you know, um, Chinese-American associations, um, you know, having fundraisers to try to get ventilators to the hospitals, um, I heard an anecdote today that um, a lot of the nail salons, which employ a lot of Vietnamese Americans, are donating, um, you know, their gloves to hospitals and clinics that need them. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the folks uh, from the Asian community who come to the U.S. come from societies where there is, you know, desperation and scarcity. Um, so I think something like this, you know, a lot of folks have seen this before. They know what it's going to take to get through. So. Um, rallying the community and, and, and trying to fill a need and being as helpful as possible. I think a lot of times it just comes second nature to a lot of folks in the Asian community. For me, it's so important to survive because I, I know that there'll be a lot of people um, that will need help after this is all said and done. And so for us, um, you know, we've been here for 30 years, our business has, and we intend to be here for another 30. So right now it's just trying to figure out how to navigate these tough times so that um, we can continue serving our community um, and everyone in the region after this. This show is produced by me, Jalian Yang, and my co-producer, Lauren Brown. This show is overseen by Tim Lloyd, Senior Producer of On Demand and Content Partnerships, and Robert Peterson, Director of Radio Programming and Operations at St. Louis Public Radio. From St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, this is We Live Here.
Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.